Hey everyone, I'm Megan Coleman. And I'm Meg Revis, and we're the Megs. We have a lot of fun laughing and learning how to squeeze the good out of today. Meg, I'm really excited. Today we have my sweet friend, Cincha Listenby, on our podcast. And man, she blew me away. She was phenomenal. Like I really hope that me and her can become best friends. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we, I've known her, Ben and I have known uh, her family because her husband, Zeke and Ben actually worked together here in Houston. And then about a year or so ago, they moved out to East Texas, but she has a blog, simplysensha.com. She has her own podcast. We will link all of these on our show notes for you guys. Cause I want to make sure that you can connect with her because it's totally worth it, but give our listeners, Meg, just a quick little bullet point rundown of some of the things we talk about, and then we'll roll into this episode. Oh yeah. I mean, some of my favorite things that we chatted about with her was just what it was like coming from Brazil to America and just some of those hardships that she faced. Um, we touch on, you know, what white privilege is because oh, yeah. that was tough and I didn't even know some of that. Um, and then just some racism issues, but really there's so much more there. I mean, I I could have talked to her for hours. You guys are going to really love her. Yep. And her whole heart is really just to spread hope one word at a time. And I promise you, as you listen today, you guys are really going to feel that. So Megan was sharing with me that you get up really, really crazy early in the mornings. I do. I've always been like that unfortunately, for, for my mother, unfortunately. And now I have kids that get up early too. And we're just like, why are you up? Like, go to <laughs> and it only happens during the break, like never when we have to go to school. So, right. So figure. But yeah. So when I, do my I started early, but I go to bed early too. So, okay. So that was our question is well, I mean, you're up at like four, four 15. Cause my gym opens at four 30. So I work out for one hour and then come home, take a shower, get the kids ready on the bus. And then I come to work early too. So I can meet the school bus and then kind of get my afternoon going. But I just love it. Like I would be the best senior citizen one day. (laughs) Those are my role models. What, What time do you go to bed? I try to get to bed by 830. Wow. Okay. But are your kids going to bed before that? 730. Yeah. But like I have a daughter and she's, um, eight years old. She's going to be nine and her lacrosse practice. So like tonight her lacrosse practice goes from 715 to 815. Do they do activities? Like what do you, how do you swim? But this year, it ends at 6.30. When we do church on Wednesdays, they go to bed later. Later. Okay. Usually we try 7.30 because, you know. Yeah. That's so they can get in. A, I'm a I'm a sleep zealot. So. Oh, girl, me too. I'm one of those where <laughs> I've, I've never let them sleep in my bed, like get out of my space. Don't snuggle with me from like 9 p.m. at night to like 8 in the morning. <laughs> I'm just. Polar opposite. <laughs> I know. I know. It's all good. Yeah. I am today functioning on about two hours of sleep. Look at you. I know. And doesn't she look beautiful doing it? Amazing. Amazing. Well, 
Well, my husband is the opposite of me. You'd be so proud of him. He goes to sleep maybe at 1, 2 a.m. And I, you know, Zeke, Zeke and I are like totally opposite when it comes to that. So Okay, so you can go to bed without him going to bed with you? Because I, I can't. Got an IMS. I just got an eye mask. I'd like for him to be there. Like sometimes he's there. But sleep is just like, that's how I function. So it's just, you know. Yeah. I know we have kind of deeper things that we wanted to chat with you about. And Megan, um, I haven't read as much. I'm trying to kind of catch up to Megan because I know you have a blog and a podcast. And I've read a little bit about that. Megan has done more. And obviously, she's known you for how long have y'all known each other for? When did you guys move here? Or when did you guys come on staff with uh, at Sugar Creek? 2016, uh, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So since then. All right. Because Ben years. and her husband, Zeke, worked together. So that's how we met. And then we had a, an inaugural Whole Foods lunch hangout, which that's was that's right. Yeah. I know to get to know each other. And then our boys became friends, you know, being in class together on Sundays and stuff at church. So yeah. that was fun. Okay, so tell us, Cynthia, about like your blogging days and your podcast. Like, let let's get our listeners to just hear a little bit about you before we roll really into some deeper things. Yeah, so I have been a writer for a long time, um, and blogging was just so natural for me. I have a in high school, I had a friend who moved to France. And she had a blog. I was like, maybe I should have a blog, you know? So I just started posting all the things. And the version that stuck is what we have now since 2003, which is simplestinctia.com. You've and, been blogging since 2003? Well, before, but I erased what was before because I wasn't happy with it. It used to be a food log, as in one cup of cereal I ate today and I'm going to put on my blog. And then that got <laughs> so old. So I decided that I was going to have what they call a lifestyle blog. So I write about faith, family, fitness, and whatever else I, I want to blog about. I'm not a millionaire, just like the recent uh, blogging people, but I love what I do and I love my little home online, you know, so that's, that's one of my hobbies. I love that. Well, you... I 2003, that was really before blogging was like a thing too. It was really just kind of coming about. Yeah. Apparently there were people that were doing even like way before I got into it. I don't remember the timing of all of that. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it it was a thing. So, and I used to go to all the blogging conferences and I still keep up with some people that I met um, back then. So fun stuff. And then you're, you have a podcast as well. And, um, I know in earlier conversations we were chatting and you were telling us it's, you've really seen it kind of shift and change and there's been growth and things there. Tell me a little bit about what it looks like now versus how it was in the past. Okay. So I started podcasting in 2010. Um, and I learned about podcasting because I was, I had a newborn and a one-year-old. So somehow I ran into a podcast and I was just like, this is awesome. And I've always <laughs> loved radio. My dad was on the radio growing up in Brazil. I remember him taking us to a recording and then he was like, kids, when the light is red, 
we're recording so nobody can speak. And I was like, wow. So I've like, I love radio. Like my mom listened to the radio. My grandmother listened to the radio. So I'm a radio person. So podcasting was just like, man, this is amazing. So I decided to have one. So I didn't know how to host one because it was 2010. So my super smart brother hosted my podcast. But then when he got tired of that change, his career, he's now a minister he just was just like, oh, okay, whatever. I was like, well, I guess I lost my podcast. So then I started another one. And then I, I, you know, I just decided I didn't want to keep up with it. But what we have now, we have like tons of episodes and it's the Simple Saintia podcast. And it's just basically everywhere you can hear. So it's a, it's a kind of like my blog, but a little bit differently because you can hear my voice. I have a few friends that come and when they do come, we laugh a lot. So it's, it's a fun. <laughs> That's good. It's a That's fun. what makes podcasts the best is when people can listen and go to good laugh with you. Yeah, we enjoy we enjoy laughing too. So have you laughed at us? We're we're kind of newbies. <laughs> no, not at all. I love how how fresh it is, how vulnerable both of you are, how full of joy. And it is like a happy part of my day when I listen to you. Oh, you're so sweet. I appreciate. I know it, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So I deeply appreciate it. Well, that's sweet of you to say because we feel like the biggest newbies most days, but oh my gosh, it's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. <laughs> so you said you mentioned that you were in Brazil. Is that where you grew up primarily? Or yes. tell me tell me a little bit more about background. Yeah, so my family is from Brazil. My parents are there, most of my siblings are there, so that's where I grew up. I came to the United States in 1998 to go to college with $200 in my pocket and just a whole lot of faith. And the part of the story that uh, is not in my bio is that somebody stole $100 from me. So I had $100. What? Then, yeah. Sincha. Well, that was college. So um, I was just like, so I w- it was just that time in your life where you're just like, all right, I'm an adult now and I'm going to find a job, which I was really blessed with, you know, a job in the college cafeteria. And we talked about waking up early. So waking up early paid off because like I had the 5 a.m. shift. So that's how I paid some of, you know, the ways that I pay my way through college. So anyway, so that's kind of I got to this country, you know, to kind of got to get a higher education. So that's where I came from. But Brazil is 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 home is where family is. It's where my friends are. I obviously speak Portuguese. My kids, uh, when they were little, they only spoke Portuguese. Now they're bilingual and, you know, improving. So that's a little bit of my background. Have you taken them to Brazil? We are planning on going this summer. So hopefully all the restrictions will be easier. Lifted. We are we're ready to go. Do you miss, what are the things that you miss about Brazil? family, friends, um, and everything else. Um, I'm not, so every immigrant to this country that you meet has a different story and a different background. So a lot of people like me don't come here because they don't like where they came from. This was an open door that got um, open for me. And this was actually a dream of my father. My father is was born in 1950, and he wanted to come to the States when he was a younger person in the 60s. 
So he met um, a friend from America who told him, I wouldn't go right now, because if you remember how things were for yeah. Black people in the 60s here, and my dad, if you see a picture, he's really dark skinned, the prettiest dark skin uh, complexion that I, I've ever seen. So, but he wasn't bitter. He just, you know, he just never forgot his dream. So I feel like when God opened this door for some of my siblings and I to come, you know, to America with scholarships is God's faithfulness to my dad's mm. dream. He never forced me to come here. He always just said, you know, you excel, you do your best. And, you know, I feel like this was the goodness of God, you know, towards my family. I love that. I'm a crier. I'm already going to tear up. <laughs> I just love. You are so emotional, Meg. I am. I can't help it. It just touches my heart because I like hearing stories. I just like hearing anybody's story. I'm interested in people. I like hearing about their life, their background, their heart, their story, their motivation. Um, So were you scared at all or did you know people coming here? I don't. I knew two Brazilian friends who were also at my college. I went to a historically black college um, called Rust College in North Mississippi. So when you hear HBCU, I went to one of those, which means okay. historically black college or university. So my mistake was to watch Mississippi Burning before I came. I do recommend the movie. I don't recommend <laughs> coming as a foreigner and watch it. Just like, oh my God, what a, what did I get myself into? But Mississippi is lovely. I don't know if you've ever been there. Um, it has a rich culture. It is complex. Um, if you just look at stats, you miss out on the goodness of the people, the beauty, the history. Mississippi has a lot of good. And obviously, I got the best man in the university. He's a Mississippian, Ezekiel, you know. Oh, yeah, that's where y'all met. It. Yeah, we met in Mississippi. So um, so it was it was a shock because I mean, all I knew was Brazil and I had been to the States once and I went to Alabama. Uh, so it was a little different, but I have learned to appreciate the states because of Mississippi. I learned how to perfect my English in Mississippi. So it's a lovely place. Yeah. I mean, um, well, I haven't lived in Mississippi, but I've obviously traveled through there several different times. So um, Megan, what was it that we were talking about in either her blog? Was it something you wrote in your blog or something you said on your podcast about when you um, had were coming into the states and you had to list your race? Yeah. So as a as a immigrant to the country, um, I was not used to, first of all, filling out paperwork, paperwork in a different country. Like you do it in Brazil. Yeah. Right. But every country you go to, like the, the types of things that they ask about yourself are different. Well, here in the States, from the first form to something I filled out last week, they always ask for your uh, racial ethnicity. So never in my life I had to vote so many times, like, what color are you, what color are you, what color are you, you know? Um, so I did that a lot, and I never thought about it until I was in my college dorm by myself. I, I was homesick, so I was looking at a picture album that I put together. This was 1998. So I looked, and I told you I, I went to an HBCU, so I looked at a picture of my great-grandfather, and I said, oh, my God, he was black, and i had that aha moment, not because I never saw him before, not because we never interacted before, but because until that point, he was just my great grandfather. He was right. a caller, you know? So here I was just like, man, I didn't realize how many times you're made to vote who you are, which it is a cultural thing. 
is a thing that it is uh, American. And I honestly don't have a problem with um, my color, my racial ethnicity. I feel like God uh, chose that for me on purpose. It is a blessing. Uh, growing up, my dad, um, and every Brazilian is different, but our family, my dad said, you know, guys, we're black. We're so blessed. We are beautiful. God made us this way. There are some expectations of us, which is we are to live, to be everything that God had purpose for us to be. We are helpers. We are creative. We are uh, people that can make a lot of good things happen for others. So that's how uh, we were taught growing up to feel about ourselves. I had never really thought about that, Sincha, that until I read it in your blog, when you had written that America makes you state your race, that was just not, not anything that I had really thought about. And I I mean, yes, that is true. Any doctor's office you go to, you know, what's your ethnicity, what's your race, you know, all of that. And um, that really stood out to me. And I think, you know, so much happened, obviously, in 2020 um, that came out in the news and and everything. And there, I think I have learned and am trying to learn so much about our country and racism in general. I know that that's something that we want to really talk about today because I don't think that we even truly understand the depth of it. Like I have a friend that last year when all of the George Floyd stuff was coming out, he made a post about, he used to be in our college ministry back in Florida. And he made a post of, uh, I mean, maybe 15 things of racism that he's experienced as a black man. And they were just like real quick lists. And he said, this is just a fraction of what I've experienced. And then I know that you even shared a few on one of your blog posts that I'd love if you're okay, sharing a couple just situations that you've encountered, because I, I think more than anything, I want to learn because what some people might think is not a point of racism. It really is, you know, and go ahead, Meg. Uh, that was going to be my biggest thing too, was just that um, I think it was really eye-opening for me to sit back and go, wow, I really missed the mark here. Like I thought I was doing good or okay, but clearly, you know, even just, um, I, I had a friend from high school that reached out when all of um, everything was happening in 2020 and so much happening and going on in the news, he reached out and he said, your silence is more speaking more than if you just, you know, and I'm not even saying it correctly because she knows Megan knows I'm getting choked up. It breaks my heart that I unintentionally was hurting somebody that I never would have wanted to hurt or, or even other people. And so just realizing that I need to be more intentional and, and, and really take a step back and go, you know, what really, I need to learn more. I'm with Megan. <laughs> we I do. just need to learn more. So I both, need to do better. You, both of you spoke about what friends experienced. And I feel like that is um, part of your power as in like connecting with friends, hearing mm -hmm. their stories. And in your case, Meg, you know, your friend said, well, you're quiet. Maybe you should say something. So I feel like that's what you can do, you know. Also, going back to my stories, like 
racism is real. It happens every day. Yeah. It doesn't just happen to me. It happens to children. It happens to senior citizens. So everybody has a story. Um, the reason why I tell my stories is not for people to feel sorry for me. I don't feel like I need um, people to feel sorry. Like, I'm fine. Like, I'm happy yeah. with a scholar. I have faith in God. I have a purpose. I have joy. I do feel like there is like I'm tired of it, of racism. Yeah. I feel like I'm doing my part. I am educating my children. The friends that we have conversations are um, making a difference also in their lives. But when I tell you my stories, it's not just like, oh, my God, poor Sancha. Oh, and her poor kid. It's just like we're really good. Like I feel bad for people who haven't yet understood that God created every racial ethnicity on purpose you right. want to be um blind to it because for example let's say like i love flowers i love roses i love tulips so imagine the most beautiful flower expo that you go in your life why would somebody in their right mind say these are all uh daisies just like clearly God, in his brilliance, created roses, and not only roses. They're all different colors. They're all different shades. And he did it on purpose. So for me to fully appreciate creation, I have to recognize that diversity is a God idea. It was on purpose. So I'm not going to mute it. I'm not going to discount him by saying everybody is the same. You see what I mean? And I love that because I think that that's when you and I were talking uh, a couple weeks ago about having you on to do this episode. One of the things that stood out that you said to me is that, you know, we don't want to raise our kids colorblind. That's not the point here. You know, the point isn't that they don't see color. The point is that they see color, we see color, and we know that that's how God created us to be. And there's no, you know, there's a good thing in the, in all the different colors. I mean, and I started thinking about that comment and I was like, you know, the, how I can relate that just to myself is that I have red hair and that stands out as a feature of mine that I love and I'm proud of, you know, and it would be downsized if, somebody was like, oh, everybody's hair is the same color. You know, it's not like, I don't see that it's color. It's not different, right. It's not different. And that's something that I'm proud of in my difference, you know? And I think that was one of the things that stood out the most when we, you and I were talking about, we don't want to have colorblindness. Like, that's not the goal here. No, that's not how uh, the creator created this to be. And I feel the same when it comes to my friends from different countries. Like, mm-hmm. I never approach a friend from India and even the different uh, places in India, diff- even the different states that they can be from and their backgrounds. Like I never say, oh, y'all are the same. Just like, no, 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 no. You're an individual and right. I want to know about you. And that's why I feel like friendships are so key. Um, but let me tell you about my stories because I know that's what you asked me. So these are some just recent um, stories of racisms, um, racism that happened to me um, in the past year. Um, I had a Hispanic millennial uh, gentleman who could not believe that a black person such as myself can speak three languages. Um, (laughs) I had uh, a middle-aged Caucasian woman treat me with contempt inside of my own house. Um, And the situation was I was interviewing people to come clean my house. So she talked to me on the phone. So she comes up and she's like, "Uh uh-oh, she's black and here I am. You know, um, I'm about to clean this black woman's house. And, you know, uh, the thing about racism is it's not uniform. 
Um, we have experienced it so much. We have heard of it. We have read through history. Our own ancestors have told us about their experiences. So you know it. You know how it looks like. You know how it smells. So this is somebody that's being racist to me because she's feeling bad because she as a white woman is going to have to clean my house. Needless to say, I was just like, this is not going to work. God bless you. And right. then we found somebody that was perfect for us. Um, so anyway, there's so many more like uh, in the past. And it's not just because like, I mean, East Texas, I've experienced racism in um, when I lived with where Megan lives. In um, Houston. I, remember, I remember in North Carolina. And as you know, like I am a Christian, I'm a pastor's wife, I'm college educated. And I'm an honest person because that's what my mom and dad raised me to be. I was in a store and this white woman sees that I'm coming next to her and she starts kind of tugging in like her purse because she thinks I'm going to steal from her. So um, these things that I mentioned, the things that you see in the news, like the knee on the neck, don't start right there on the video clip. Right. Before. So it starts in the heart. It's a heart issue. So and going back even further, because um, a lot of the times what you hear and what I read, um, my colleague journalists write, it's just like, well, this person was a loner. Well, it starts, in my opinion, it starts a little bit before. It starts with a conversation that somebody didn't have with a child inside of a home that, you know, this person is a person of worth. God created this person. You need to have, uh, you know, you need to be, you need to treat people with equality. You need to treat people with love. So here's my thing. Um, I'm a Christian and I believe that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to save the world. He didn't feel sorry for the world, right? Because sometimes right. when it comes to racism, it's just like, oh, we feel so sorry for you, black people. Just like, we don't need for y'all to feel sorry for us. Because like, that because when you have that approach, I become your project, not a person. Mm. We're not interested oh my in being gosh. that is powerful. We are not interested in being your project. So remember how we started this conversation with, with you telling me, well, my friend told me when you have a relationship, there's love. I feel mm -hmm. like when you love somebody and they know you love them, now there's a possibility of conversations. Now there's oh, a possibility yeah. for eyes to be open, for for realities to be changed. But again, like with this uh, experiences of racism, I feel like they can be solved with conversations at home. So here's my thing, um, friends. When it comes to my writing, um, I write to a lot of women who, like me, are mothers. What are you teaching your children on purpose? Because we teach, like we reproduce who we are. And if you, uh, even if you are a mom who had the blessing and the honor to adopt a child, which I know a lot of moms who do, like they look just like you, they act just like you, you reproduce who you are on purpose. There are some things that you're teaching your children now. For example, in so suburban America, we're really good about putting our kids in sports. Why? Oh, we want them to learn leadership. We want them to learn what it feels like to, to be in a team. So we teach that for years and years and years. And guess what? When you grow up, you go on a run. When you grow up, you know what it means to be a leader, how to be part of this community. But we don't do that when it comes to racial ethnicities, when it comes to looking at people from different countries. So what are you doing on purpose? And like, sometimes we're just like, oh my God, what what, what do I need to read? What book do I, do I need to do? But it's just like, that's something that you can think like, um, okay, first of all, who are, who are my friends that don't look like me? 
Um, are they really my friends or are they uh, cleaning my house? Or are they people that I only talk to every two years or when they get pissed off and they inbox me on Facebook? So like there's so many <laughs> angles that we can have. But the point is um, you reproduce who you are. Right. And like, what are you teaching on purpose? Are you teaching that everybody's valuable on purpose? You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of part of what I've been thinking about and writing about lately when it comes to matters of race. Okay. So talking about friendship, you know, one of the things that you and I uh, talked about, Sincho, was the concept of being the token black person and being invited to something. You know, can you tell us a little bit about what that feels like and what you mean by that? So that's not fun, <laughs> first and foremost. No. And it's just awkward. You know, I, as a black person, know when I'm being invited because you want me somewhere, because you love me, you're my friend, I'm part of, and I know when I'm invited because we have a quota to fill. It's just, it's just not fun at all. You see what I mean? And then Mm -hmm. there's also, um, there's also, and I wasn't a token in this experience, but I was invited to uh, an event, a social event, because my friends wanted me to be there. So I was so, so happy to be there. So one of my friend's friends, uh, she didn't recognize me from her other areas of life. Um, and she was just like, oh, are you paying attention to my eyebrows? And I was like, eyebrows, what, what's going on? So I'm laughing, like, I don't understand. So she thought that I was the black person that does my friend's eyebrows. I can't be a black person that goes to a party because my friend wants me to be there. So it's just like, it's, it's, it's awkward and it's oh weird. So, I know. So it's just like, in that case, I wasn't the token, but like being the token black person is just, is just never fun. So uh, again, it all, I think the way you fix that is just like, are we friends? Am I here because like, we're all in this together? Or is there a need to have, well, I have that one black friend because like nobody wants to be your one black friend. And right. I can only speak right. for myself on that. So, yeah. I don't want one black friend. I think that's my my thing is how do I keep that from happening? I, I feel like my heart is good and in the right place, but sometimes I'm just awkward and Megan knows this. <laughs> and I don't mean to be rude to anybody or, or I don't want anybody to feel like they're ever my token black friend at all. But how would I avoid like your friend that brought you to that social event? How, how would we, uh, how do we avoid that? What are, I don't know, walk me through what, how, what we can do better at. Well, I think, um, if you, don't want to have one token black friend. You have to have like 50 of them or 30 of them or whatever. It is a, again, it is a thing. It is a a issue of the heart as in like you, you told me your heart is in the right place. So if you feel like God's leading you to have more diverse friends, you just have to go after them, you know, just friend them on purpose. And I'm a believer that, um, for example, as a Brazilian person, when I moved to Texas, I heard, man, there's a lot of Brazilians in Houston. But my approach was, God, whoever you want to be in my life, please bring them to me. So God gave me Jamaican friends. God gave me Nigerian friends. God gave me friends from India. God gave me friends from India who grew up in Africa and told me about 
what it was to grow up in Africa and to be educated there. God gave me friends from Mauritius Islands, which is a freaking paradise that I want to visit one day. <laughs> but you see how it, be, it, be, it started as a desire. And then once I had the opportunity, I said a prayer. And then instead of thinking like, I'm Brazilian, let me just hang out with my Brazilian friends. I was just like, God, whoever you want in my life, please bring them to me. And I was just That's going to be my prayer is just, okay, this is my heart. And, you know, God, I like having lots of friends and meeting people in Target. You're the party girl, man. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be everybody's friend all the time. And uh, so I like that just being intentional with your prayer and just saying, you know, God, please put please put these friends in my life and or or, or, or whoever you want me to meet. And once they came to my life, um, I was intentional in making sure that our friendship was a healthy one. It wasn't mm-hmm. just like, all right, I got a friend from Mauritius. Check. Right. Check. 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 It's, it's not like, a checklist. Right. These friends know, like, you call me at 3 a.m. I'm going to be there for you. We're going to party together. We're going to cry together. We're going to do life together. I'm going to keep in touch. And I'm interested in who you are as a human being. Yeah. Your- Story. This is not just about I'm not racist because look at look at my list of friends. You see right. what I mean? No, 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 no. I would never so, want it to appear that way, but that's my approach. Um, as um when I Zion is eleven. So 12, 13 years ago, I taught a lot of workshops about diversity to uh middle schoolers. It was kind of part of my uh, my job before before my previous life. So one of the things that we would do fun exercises with the kids and the goal was to just like, just to uh, recognize the diversity that got created and how do you, you know, kind of get out of your own little bubble. But what I used to tell the kids is just like, it is so natural for me as a Brazilian to only hang out with Brazilian friends. It's like, you have a lot of things in common, but I feel like the beauty of um, appreciating this beautiful, diverse God, world that God made is to just to step out and to have the conversation in Target. Like one of my best friends that I met from New Zealand, we met, and this was super awkward conversation, in the public library story time. I didn't know she was from New Zealand. She didn't know I was from Brazil. But it was just like, it was the most awkward conversation. But it's just like, we are the best friends today. You know, she still lives in Houston. I'm here. But what I mean is just like there is fruit when you step out of your comfort zone. And it's just like you're like my Brazilian friends didn't disown me. They still love me. We're still cool. But it's just like when you say that prayer, you have to have the um, the action behind it, as Mm -hmm. in like, I'm just going to take the next step and I'm just going to reach out to this person. Your life is going to be better. I can guarantee that. Can't wait. I'm ready to like <laughs> go meet a lot of friends in a lot of new places. And I'm down here close to Miami and it's a, it's so diverse. I mean, yeah. I, I think that is one of the things that I've actually loved for my girls because we came from Texas. We had never moved at all anywhere. And now they're immersed in all this. It's beautiful cultures. Like I just, want to soak all of that in too. And we've been here a year and a half and I don't know that I've done as good of a job. Well, it COVID, COVID too, but made it so challenging for people to get out. But that's, o- but that's South okay. Florida is even more strict, you know, with a lot of their rules than we have been here in Texas. Yes, But I like how she's like, 
you're saying just to be intentional, put that action behind that prayer. And um, just because things are hard doesn't mean I shouldn't go out and still try and, and I don't know. These are not going to be as they are now. I am a fan of just being intentional with connecting with people. And it's just like, we can connect face to face. We can text, we can obviously, you know, it would be weird with a stranger, but things won't be like this forever. So I think right. as we get out of this COVID bubble, I feel like there's a lot of goodness that can happen when we are intentional in being friends that are nothing like we are. Yeah. Um, how do you, what conversations do you have with your kids? Have your kids experienced any kind of racism or how do those conversations come up? So with black kids, um, first of all, I believe in making sure that my kids have a happy childhood. There's a lot of sadness in the world that I don't feel like they need to know right now. Mm -hmm. Um, so the way I was raised, like there was a lot of crazy stuff happening around me. So my parents gave me the gift of my childhood. They didn't give me, uh, ulcers in my stomach because of violence, because the economy was crazy growing up in the eighties in Brazil. Like I had a happy childhood and I'm very thankful. So the first thing that we teach obviously is our faith in God, how he created us on purpose. Um, we are easing them into um, not only American history, which Black history is American history, but also um, there's more Black people outside of the States than it is in the States, and their mothers from Brazil. So we teach them about history outside of the world. So right now, they are 11, 10, and 8. They're not scholars. I'm not scholars. But we're doing like what our parents did to us. We teach them about music, African-Americans in music, their contributions. We teach them that uh, the history of Black people didn't start with slavery. God created us free people as brilliant people who came up with amazing inventions as kings and queens in Africa. And then, you know, the resilience that happened after these unfortunate things that happened to us, like we, we teach all of that. So it's very organic. There's a lot of joy in, for example, growing up in Brazil, this was before I knew I was going to come to the States. My father was into music. So we would listen to Louis Armstrong which is an amazing genius in jazz music. So it's just like, just by the simple fact, and it was just not like, kids, let's all sit down and you know <laughs> learn about Black American history right now. It was just like, this music is so amazing and it's just so joyful. So for Zeke and I, it's very organic. So we're easing them into this. And then there's, um, right now we're like reading a book about Harriet Tubman. It is for kids. So it's just like you learn about this amazing figure who was a real person and this real story. So it's been really organic for us. So I have to say, just so people know, you and Zeke, your husband, are phenomenal musicians. And uh, Zeke was in our worship ministry at church when you guys were here in Houston. And oh my goodness, I think I miss his music more than anything. <laughs> oh, thank you. When you guys left. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, we love, we love, we're musical people for sure. Mm-hmm. So, but it's very organic, you know, so there's, there's tons of things that you can do. And, you know, I feel like at some point uh, they're going to run into like the harsh facts, you know, but as little kids, I feel like it's nice to know 
um, that there's a beautiful world out there that God created you with this beautiful, you know, racial ethnicity. And in the case of my kids, they're half African-American, half Brazilian on purpose. And that like our people are pretty awesome, you know, and then as human beings that God created, we can, we have a responsibility to leave a contribution to the world and to help others. I love that, Sincha. Okay, so you just said African-American. I'm curious because I feel like I've heard from different people different answers and I've read different things of, do you say Black? Do you say African-American? I know that um, Meg has friends that she's had this conversation with and it's been uh, a biracial couple and they're like, don't, I don't want you to call me black. Like my friends can, and my family can, but I don't want you to. But then we have other friends that have said, I'm not, I'm not African. I'm a black American, you know? And so don't call me African American. Do you, I mean, is it a personal preference really? So for years in this country, we didn't have a personal preference. We were called a lot of degrading things. Right. So I feel like the least we can do for one another is just to ask, what is your preference, my friend? Okay. You see what I mean? I feel like it's the more respectful thing to do is just to ask your friend what they prefer. Because at one point, <laughs> we like during slavery, we were called like some ugly things. So I yeah. feel like to have the right to be called what I want to be called, like it's the least you can do for a human being. You see what yes. I mean? Oh, yeah. I totally agree. Cause I don't like being called a white woman. I, I just you don't. don't. Why is I, that? I'm just a woman. Just a woman. I, and see, it doesn't bother me. I, so I really think it is everybody's personal preference. Like I'm not ashamed that I'm a white woman or anything. I just like, I don't know. I think I'd almost rather be called a Texan than, you know, like. Here's my like, next question. Um, I don't know what the context of the conversations were, but usually my friends, the ones that I listed, you know, the people that really, really know me, um, I'm Sinchia and I'm their friend. That's right. So like the conversation about labels, if it happens, is just not the pillar of a relationship because that's a conversation you have with somebody you don't know. Right. Well, see, I have a friend that she uh, is Hispanic and we had this conversation actually last Sunday. We kind of got on the subject of, I don't know how we got on the subject. I I was probably saying about how we were going to do this podcast and record. And so then she started sharing with me just as a Hispanic woman here in Houston, racism that she's experienced, even being pulled over by the cops and being treated a certain way and um, being asked questions about immigration um, you know, and she's an American, you know, she was born and raised here. She just, her, you know, her, she's Hispanic. And so she was telling me about how, you know, cause she kept saying a Brown woman. And I was like, is that, oh, is that an okay thing to say? And she said, it depends on the context, you know, like it's if you're pointing at me and going, look at that Brown woman, like, no, that's not okay. But if we're in a conversation, you know, and it's like, you're part of, my group of friends, and this is a conversation we're having, it's okay. Like, I know you love me and I love you. And that's, and that's that is how I friendship. Yeah. And that is how I approached. I've had, uh, two or three conversations where I'm a pretty blunt person, but I always upfront am just saying to them, 
I, because I love you and I don't want to offend you or upset you, can you tell me what you prefer? Like, I don't want to anyways. And so that's how those conversations started for me. So it was those are part of introductory things. As a journalist, we need to know what's the politically correct way to write about a group of people. Um, in my North Carolina years, we lived close to the Cherokee Nation, which is a different conversation, as in I was fascinated with the culture. And um, while I learned a lot, like I was invited to go into the nation and to learn about the history. But for me, the thing that stays is the friendships. Um, is like I took the time and I asked a friend from a different tribe. Uh, so how are you guys treated in the 60s? And they're just like, uh, awful. Like mm-hmm. Caucasians treated us like we were trash. And I was just like, wow, African-Americans were not the only ones. So anyway, I going back to my point, it's just like friendship for me is the anchor. As in like those introductory conversations are important. They're individualized. But if we make sure that we are treating others as people, not projects, we can go, we can make a lot of uh, progress. I think something that I've learned the most in the last year is, uh, and I had heard about it before, but I don't think I had um, really understood it until it was simplified a little bit more is just the whole idea of white privilege. Um, Is that as a white person, that there are natural privileges that you have that somebody else might not. And at first I thought, well, I don't, I don't have a lot of money. Meg and I have even had this conversation of like, I didn't grow up with money. I remember I grew up. We were poor. Yeah. The church had to have anything and bring us bags of groceries because my mom couldn't afford to put, you know, groceries on the table, but that's not it. Like the privilege is not a rich and poor thing. The privilege is, um, you know, it's natural things that we get just because were white. And I was blown away when I started to really understand what that meant. I think I'm still understanding because Megan was reading to me and telling me all this stuff. And I I don't even think it hadn't even dawned on me. I'll, I'll read it. So I'm reading this book, Cynthia. It's called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it? I it's have. by Emmanuel Ancha Acho. Acho. He's an it was an NFL guy from Texas. Went to UT. Um, each chapter is a different um, conversation, essentially. And I like what he does because he gives the history. Uh, his first section of is always like, let's rewind and talk about the history of what this question is. And then he says, all right, now let's have an uncomfortable conversation about it. And one of the things that he, his um, chapters is about white privilege. And this is what uh, he wrote that kind of blew me away. It said, um, for many white people, white privilege is the power of feeling normal. It's the silent reinforcement of being able to walk into a store and see its main displays show products that cater to you. It's the ability to turn on the TV and see people who look like you represented in all walks of life. It's passing the corner office at work and seeing someone who could have been you once upon a time and maybe finding mentors who see themselves in you. It's never wondering whether the name of your resume is too white. It's talking the way your local news anchors talk, the way the authorities say is standard or proper. It's something as simple as having a Band-Aid or a foundation color match your skin, 
uh, and it's never having to be the one the photos app thinks is a gorilla. And then he goes on and on and on to talk about just the idea of white privilege. It's not about, you know, rich, it's about having advantage built into your life. So what do you do with that conversation, with that information? That's what I've, that's what I've been asking my, my Caucasian, white, whatever you want to be called friends. Like, what are you going to do with that? I think for me now, I've got to just spend some time in prayer. <laughs> like, I just need to like, just really pray about some stuff. Like, I don't know. It, Megan, to answer, you jump Well, in. and to answer your question, Sincha, I don't know what to do with that information. Okay. So definitely there was a a stirring inside of both of you and uh, you're taking the right step, which is we need to reflect on what we can. And then here's another question. Where is your power? Right? So as, as it, and this is a little biased, but I feel like the power that I really have are the kids that I'm raising as in like, I, cause again, I can read all the books. I can be highly educated. I can go get another master's degree and a PhD on all these things. But it's just like, what am I going to leave here as a contribution? And I feel like one of the greatest contributions, three contributions I'm leaving are not so much my words, but my children. So Mm -hmm. I'm teaching them the worth and value of a person. For example, we take the time to care for the poor not only on Thanksgiving, because it's so easy to go to Thanksgiving and put some nasty food on some plate and be like, here, check, I've done my part. But you know what? The poor are struggling right now. So what I do is I take the time to teach my children. Do you see this neighborhood? Like there's some people that live there. We can help them, you know? And then like, also, again, I told you, like we uh, reproduce who we are. So I take care of Cynthia first, as in like, I look people in the eyes, not as projects, but it's just like, I'm a helper. You are a person of worth and I'm going to help you. Uh, For example, if we're taking care of the sick, that's another thing that I care about, not COVID as in like, we have to stay away. Right. For example, I, I will take my kids to see, this is pre-COVID. We had a friend who had an accident in Italy. So when she came back to the States, we went to her house and I taught him, um, let's cheer her up. So we visited her or musical family. And this is just very listen, be or whatever, but we sang. So when we left, I said, did you see that smile on her face? It's just like, you did that. Like, that's what we're called to do. So those are my contributions. When I teach, you know, when we go to like our Nigerian friends' houses and we enjoy the food and the conversations and we hear the stories of them growing up and we tell the kids, that was the best thing ever. Like, we want to go to Nigeria ourselves. We want to go see it for ourselves. So I feel like uh, that's where I mean. It's just like, where is your power? Mm-hmm. Is it, you, you see, for not not everybody's meant to write a book, but, you know, Megan, you wrote four, right? In your kids. So it's just like, to me, that's the next generation coming up. And we have the responsibility and the honor to pass that on on purpose. I'm literally speechless. <laughs> I know me too. I love you. I do too. Can we have, can we do like some kind of conference? Like, can we just, or can we do a girls weekend? Like, can we, I know, right? y'all come see me at the beach. We're going right. to hang out. Let's do it. I know. Right. Oh, the conversations would be amazing. I, you know, I think 
it's obvious. Like our heart is just to love people. It it just is. And my heart is to teach my kids how to love all people, you know, and better for sure at teaching my kids and being intentional with those things, the, those organic activities that we're doing, but speaking life into them. Like I liked how you said, you know, y'all didn't just go visit a friend and care for her and love on her and make her smile. But then afterwards, having that intentional conversation with your kids saying, do you see the life that's there? Do you see that smile? Do you see like you have the ability, you have the power to do that in somebody's life? That's how I was raised. Like my grandmother would take me to visits and I saw the difference before we got there and after and after we left there. And some of those things that we're teaching right now. Um, I know it's going to take decades to come to fruition, but it is my responsibility to to sow the seed. You yeah. see what I mean? So you might not see it tomorrow, but it's going to happen. Like my grandmother is not here to see the fruit, but it's just like I'm visiting the sick too. And I'm teaching my children, this is who we are. Yeah. This is who God created us to be. So it has to be intentional. And again, it doesn't take a book. It doesn't take a conference. It just takes you thinking, okay, God, I'm, I'm feeling a stirring in my heart. What do you want me to do? And then just organically, you develop your children into these human beings that love as God does, sees as God sees and cares for all people as, you know, he does. As he created. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, wow. my friend. Good stuff. I love you and I appreciate you. Okay, so we I love you too. And I know we just met, but <laughs> I love I, you too. Thank you for I having really, me. Really okay, too. but before we get off, we end every every episode with our squeeze the good, where we talk about something that we're just loving this week. You want to start? Is there something you're loving that you can share with our listeners? Well, I discovered that I love creamer with my coffee many, many years ago. Um, and then I'm trying to be more health conscious. So I was just like, man, this stuff is like pure sugar. I can do that. So I started drinking my coffee with almond milk as a creamer. Well, I am an Aldi grocery store lover. Ah, okay. They have oat milk. So my first thought was like, ew, like there's no way. But I love oats. Oats love me. And oh my word, like is a game changer as a creamer for your coffee. So that's oat, oat milk? milk, oat milk. Yeah. And it's at Aldi. Yeah. Is you it guys a- have Aldi's there in Florida? There's one, there's a couple there. They're a bit of a drive, but yeah, I can go to them. So, yeah. you know, for Snowmageddon, what we just had last week, uh, we housed a family of five, uh, because they lost power. And so they were here for almost a whole week. And um, she is like a huge Aldi shopper, like Aldi and Costco. And that's it. Like she doesn't even, I mean, we got like H-E-B here, Mm -hmm. the greatest grocery store ever. And she still doesn't even go there because she loves Aldi so much. Oh, wow. I guess I need to give it another try. I haven't gotten milk. I haven't gotten on the Aldi, on the Aldi train yet. But I'll give I'll give it a try. Okay, so oat milk. What is oat yours, milk. Megan? I like it. Okay, mine is uh, it's kind of silly. So for um, 
something that my oldest Davis and I do is he always says, you're the best. And I say, oh, you're the best. And then we kind of go back and forth and say, you're the best. And so he got me this gift. I'll show you on the thing, but I can show a picture. And it says Yoda best. He got me this coffee. He loves Star Wars. He loves Star Wars. And he got this for me. It says Yoda Best. And it's like my favorite coffee mug. And I had it this morning. And I was sitting in bed after they went to school. And I was drinking the coffee and just appreciating like that sweet little relationship with my son. And he's like a teenage boy. Almost, man. I'm going to suck in and keep all those wonderful memories before the hormones hit. (laughs) Sweet. Boy. Well, he's really a young man now turning into a young man. I know. Okay. What about you, Meg? Mine, I feel like is just a little bit funny because my family makes fun of me about it. But um, do y'all remember the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Did y'all see that movie? Oh, yes. So the dad in it uses Windex for <laughs> everything. Everything. Okay. Yes. Well, I do this too, but not with Windex. It's with coconut oil. I use coconut oil for everything. I mean, give me some examples. Okay. So not, I don't just like cook with it. I put it in my coffee. I cook with it, all those things. But like if the girls get a skinned knee instead of Neosporin, they laugh at me because I'm like, go get the coconut oil. We slather coconut oil everywhere for all kinds of things. Audrey said, mom, I've got this little itch over here. And I was like, go get the coconut, go get the coconut oil. (laughs) But then my husband gave me a really hard time because there was like a little scratch on our table, like a wooden whatever. And I was like, you know what? I bet the coconut oil would buff that right out. Yep. It totally worked. (laughs) So gosh, Coke, I I get the Trader Joe's coconut oil is what I get. They're (sighs) organic coconut oil. And I keep a jar in the cook kitchen for cooking. And then I have a jar in a couple of the bathrooms for all the other things. I do like cooking with it, but I try and get the kind that you don't taste as much of the coconut because my kids can really taste the coconut if I, so I'll try to get the kind that you can bake with, you know, that doesn't have the flavor, but I have not tried it on anything else. Well, it works for everything. I use it on my face, my hair, scrapes, skin knees, tables, whatever. (laughs) That's my squeeze the good. I love it. That's great. Well, Sencha, thank you, my friend, for coming on with us. Thank you for having me. This was fun. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Meg's podcast today. We have the best time talking about (laughs) all the things. All the things. We love it, don't we, Meg? Yes. Well, y'all be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes that we have. And then also come find us on social media. We want to connect with you at the Meg's podcast.